Welcome to the podcast, Transformations. My name is Nick Bank, and I'm your host. On this podcast, a guest first shares a personal story of transformation, then listen back to it and reflect on their own experiences. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Transformations. My name is Nick Bank, and on this episode, I have Eric as my guest. Eric, great to have you on the podcast. Great to be here, Nicolette. Where are you calling in from today? Uh, from Dusseldorf, Germany. Great, great to meet you in this uh, this way. This is the first video episode that we're we're doing another experiment. It's very INSEAD like, I would say. But uh, Eric, you and I we know each other through uh, INSEAD. But for those that don't know you, would you mind just telling uh, a bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Um, so my name is Eric Botre. I'm originally from Montreal, Canada. I've been living abroad now for 15 years, 11 of those years in Germany, in Dusseldorf. And in between, I lived three years in India. Um, now I work as an organizational change manager, but I've done so many things in different areas in my life, from computer programming, management of information systems, to the three years where my wife and I lived in India, and we did a bachelor's degree in Buddhist studies. And then we were in Canada, we did part of a master's degree and eventually for me came back to Germany and for my wife, I would say moved here. Uh, Maria is from Russia and yeah, we've now been living here for just over five years and we have twins, Emma and Louis, that are three years and three months old, roughly. Wow. So really world travelers, world citizens and uh, twin parents, I salute you. Uh, congratulations. Um, Derek, thank you for your introduction. During our preparatory call, I asked you to consider a transformative experience that we could talk about on the podcast. Uh, so this could be something you have experienced in your personal or your business life. Uh, but just before we do that, I was wondering if you have your own definition of transformation that you would like to share. Oh, that's that's a really good question. Um, I've never thought of a formal definition, right? And sort of in reflecting about some changes, what I do professionally, but also in my personal life, having lived in, in many different countries and, and having gone through career changes and, and all of that, but also from the Buddhist perspective, yeah, like impermanence, continuous change. Um, so change operates on so many levels, right? Be it within the body, which is constantly changing, small changes that we do in our habits, in our relationships, uh, but then there are some that seem to be, as, as you say, like transformative, right? So we could all say that there seems to be different levels and different variety of changes. Um, and in that sense, I kind of, I'm sure there's a dictionary definition of what a change is, but in terms of the lived experience of all these different changes and putting it into one concise definition, that'd be pretty difficult for me. I can relate. I can definitely relate. Thank you for sharing your uh, your perspective. Um, so, Eric, which experience did you choose to share with us today? So, I decided to choose an experience from my teenage years. Actually, um, I've gone through many changes throughout my life, as as I mentioned, but this one I think was formative uh, in in many ways. So, a bit of a maybe a, a backstory, yeah, to this change is that when I was fifteen years old. Actually, one of my acquaintances passed away. And fortunately, he was also the same age. He drowned uh, in a lake. There were a group of friends that were partying. 
and I wasn't there. That was one of the times that I wasn't there. And uh, they had put the beer in the lake, wanting to keep it cold. And and unfortunately, this guy, yeah, went. They were partying, went out, and and went too far and, and drowned. And that was our first experience as teenagers with death from within a close sphere. Let's put it that way. But for me, it was I wasn't very close to that person. But still, some of my good friends were. And a few years later, when I was 17, one of my very close friends died. Uh, so she and I weren't boyfriend-girlfriend, but sort of in a way. And um, we were a group of friends that every Friday we'd all go out partying yeah, to the same clubs in Montreal. And in the, sometimes I would go and spend the nights at her place or parents or vice versa, you know. And that was one of those times we went out to a club called the Fufuns Electrique in, in Montreal. Um, and yeah, basically called my dad the next day and, and asked him to come pick me up. And, um, I think it was Saturday to Sunday. And then I, I said goodbye to her and said, you know, I'll see you this week or see you next weekend. And unfortunately, so the next day she went, or that night she went to work. She was working sort of a corner store, like a Seven Eleven, and in, in the area where I'm from, uh, just outside of the island of Montreal. And the next morning she left on her work on rollerblades and instead of crossing at the intersection she crossed behind us sort of that middle section so she was behind the lamppost and she didn't see when she was looking across at the light and it turned green um she didn't see that there was a car that was coming through on the red and the car didn't see her uh, because she was behind the lamppost unfortunately she moved out right to across the street and she was hit by the car and, and she passed away and um, that was, I think, we faced the question of mortality at a relatively young age. Now that I look back, I'm, I'm 44. Now that I look back and yes, at 17 years old, I thought that I knew a lot and that I understood a lot and that I could manage all of adulthood right on my own. Um, but being faced with death at 17, of a 17 year old and then seeing the reaction of the parents, be it my parents at the time, her parents, her brother. I mean, we were all close, but to see how the parents experienced it. Um, that was something that had a huge transformative effect yeah, on my life, both positive and, and in a way negative, I would say. The positive side, I think from that point on in my life, um, at the end of every conversation, especially let's say phone conversations later on with my parents, at the end of every conversation, we always ended it with, I love you, always. And to this day, still with my mom, every phone conversation that we have, it ends with, I love you. We, I sort of had an experience which brought me to maybe a realization of the impermanence of life, right? That there is no guarantee that after the last conversation, there will be a next one. And this was my experience with Isabel was her name because I saw her Sunday, my dad came to pick me up and I said, bye and see you next Friday. Yeah, with the assumption of continuity, of course, of life. Um, so on, on one hand, I think it had a, a positive influence, a transformative effect. I hope, I hope it made me kinder, more compassionate. I hope it made me more aware that we never know what other people are going through in their lives, right? And also not the assumption that there is a tomorrow and not the assumption that, uh, I mean, 
everything that we take is so tangible and important. Be it work, you know, be it deliverables, be it money, be it... Um, and don't get me wrong, I still struggle. Even, you know, after years of Buddhist practice and, and all these, you know, normal things, I still struggle with it. But hopefully I believe that it had a, an impact on my life where it's it didn't make me realize about the impermanence and hopefully made me treat people in a way which was a bit um, zoomed out from just a situation that I was in, be it a work or a school context, right? To take a little bit of, of the bigger picture. Um, but it also had, I think, an effect which was normal, but and which followed me a very long time, which was maybe not so positive in a way, um, which is that it closed me a little bit to uh, love and to opening myself up completely from uh, like to be completely vulnerable um, because we were very close friends and and there was love there right and there was an openness and there was a connection and, and uh, this was a long time ago obviously but also intimacy and then to lose that and to realize or to then think that at any moment someone that you love and that loves you back and um, can just be gone and that's an extremely painful experience at any age at literally any age but as a 17 year old without more experience of life and yeah maybe more to um related to or to actually make it more relative or even just to help through the grieving process um that was an extremely intense pain and and hurts um, at that age and I think for a long long time probably to a certain extent even until I met my wife which is going to be 10 years ago yeah, next year um, there was a part of me that remained closed yeah when, when I was in love because there was still almost that childhood fear of that person yeah maybe no longer being there um, and wanting to protect myself from from that pain uh, that was extremely transformative um and then on top of that it's it then connected to at the age of 18 we have another friend who, who died uh, a close friend and at the age of 21 my roommate actually passed away uh, um, so in a very short period of time um all these things in succession so it probably amplified it but with isabel it was the first time that such a, uh, a close friend at such a young age had passed away and and that's what i thought about a transformative experience that even still follows me uh, to this day. And yet you and I had that conversation, you know, offline about like permanent change and, and the paradox of that. That's true. That's true. Um, the issue of permanent change is, is uh, I think the way that you presented that it had, it had provoked you and uh, not in a uh, physical manner, but maybe more from an from an, an, an intellectual standpoint, which I can now that I that I think about it, and that's maybe also the change that I that I sense in myself as I have more and more of these uh, conversations. Is that you know transformation for for many is not a a one time event. It's not you know Tuesday morning in a workshop or something. It's a it's a way of life. It's a habit, right? And sometimes that can find us when we are. Uh, in maybe mental highs and lows. If we have more maybe mental energy, maybe we take a different book off the shelf or take a different route from work. Um, I uh, I talked to a person uh, who who said, um, you know, I was I was near a mental breakdown. I was ready for anything. 
And that was when when she met a person that really helped her. You know, that person had probably been alive the whole time. It's not like, you know, the person came out of the ground, uh, you know, magically or something. So, so you know, both transformation can find us, but I think we can also find transformation. And and I think it's it's in our in our we know this from EMC, right? The way our our capacity to our capacity to to name experiences or objects or things, both from the narrative practice, but also just from from this sheer sheer practice of recognizing things, not only for what they are. And I think it's it's Eric who said that you know we don't see things as they are; we see things as we are. Which I think I probably have a T-shirt made for him. Uh, uh, during that, because I think it is so true, you know, because two people can stand next to each other and not only watch the same soccer game, which can, there's a lot of reasons why we see that differently, but but they can experience exactly the same thing and they will have completely different takeaways from that, you know? Interesting, we, we, can, we can record this on film, we can look at their body temperature or their brain energy and brain waves, and we know it's going to be difficult, yet they are seeing the same things but they're experiencing something completely different absolutely and uh, i was like sometimes i cannot say if it's random or not but you give the example someone may pick a different book right we never know in those moments also oh, something may be presented to us and if it's going to connect or have a, a further impact to the change i know that it's in those years um, after my friend passed away, I think my parents got me a, a book on, on Buddhist meditation or something to, to help me through the grieving process. Because his parents, with a 17-year-old, they also didn't know how do I help, you know, my child through this process. And somehow I, I tried, I meditated, it didn't work. I didn't understand how it worked. But then later on at university, I did a course, Introduction to Buddhism. And then later on, it's a longer story, but I was visiting my brother who lived in Senegal at the time for Christmas and New Year's. And I wrote my New Year's resolution, find a place to meditate once a week. And I came back to Dusseldorf and that's when I started going, practicing, eventually going to India, doing my bachelor's degree, right? But you, you never know in these moments of change and also like traumatic, obviously, when someone dies. There's all kinds of information that's being offered to you, either by friends or by family, but you don't know what is going to connect and stick and in your worldview and, and what isn't. Eric, thank you so much for sharing your experience. Um, and now is the time on the podcast, or should we say video cast, uh, where we, through the wonders of modern technology, we're going to experience time travel. And uh, I'm going to snap my fingers. And then when we come back after the break, uh, you will have listened and watched yourself. And then we will hear your reflections and maybe a piece of advice for the younger Eric, if it exists. So, Eric, talk to you in a week. Bye, Nick and I. Bye. Hello, Eric. Thank you for coming back on the podcast today. It's now a week later. How are you doing? Hi, Nikolai. Uh, thanks for having me again. I'm I'm doing good. The last couple of days before vacation, I'm heading out to Canada with the family on Saturday. So just winding down at work. We have our team dinner this evening. So I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward to the vacation. Oh, it sounds absolutely perfect. What a great way to start the holiday. Yeah. You know, Eric, I am just so curious. 
how did it feel to listen to yourself talking about your transformative experience? It was, it was interesting. First of all, I think seeing myself physically and hearing myself um, was not as uncomfortable as I thought it would be. Um, so that was something that quickly blended out, let's say, in terms of my attention, looking at uh, any uh, yeah, body language and those kinds of things. It blended out actually quite quickly. Um, and then I was very much focused on my words and listening back to, to what I was saying and, and also reliving and thinking about those experiences as a teenager again, but hearing myself share to someone now yeah, in my 40s and watching myself share with someone, of course, some of my friends know about this and family, but it's not a topic that I've shared openly. Um, so that was an interesting experience. It felt a bit uncomfortable. And yeah, a bit vulnerable, the part of myself now that I'm offering the same to the public realm, but also a bit, um, that's, I don't want to say healing, but part of that process of acknowledging it and sharing it is also taking another perspective on it and being fine with it, uh, also being out there in the public realm. Yes. I think it's interesting that you talk about actually sh sharing the feeling because there's also something about maybe recognizing that uh, we are not the only ones that have that have lost. It has happened before, and it will unfortunately happen again. That that does not make it uh, easier for for you uh, in that situation. But maybe we can, you know, somehow share share that pain, share that experience. And and in in, in many places, it's actually taboo to talk about or at least emotionally taboo, what can we talk about at work? What can we talk about with our peers, with, with our with our closest friends or family? So maybe widen the circle a, a little bit. Yeah, uh, I was uh, that was what I was thinking. So, so um, after listening to yourself, sharing uh, your experience, um, do you have any reflections from that? I, I do. I, I mean, I observed and this was part of the reflection. So I observed that um, at one point I shared how, you know, after my friend Isabel died, I said how we were all confronted um, with death at an early age. And my reflection was that even though it's been so many years, um, I think still as a protection mechanism, I'm almost, I was still depersonalizing in that moment into the we. I mean, you're asking me about my experience. We're having an interview, you and I, right? And rather than saying, well, you know, I was confronted with death at an early age, I still no. part of me looks to put that outside maybe as a, a protection uh, mechanism. So that was one, let's say, observation um, and reflection that I had. And the other one was around when we were sharing how, um, and you were saying also in, in the podcast that you've done and the exchanges that you've had that, there are these moments sometimes in high highs or low lows where we tend to be more open to transformative experiences. Yeah. yeah. And also that we don't know at that moment what our brain is going to decide, right? I'm going to take this book or I'm going to call it that person or, or that person tells me this and I'm open to it. And it just made me reflect how we really don't know much about how we function. We don't. No. Because in that moment, you can get the same information that you've gotten a hundred times before, or you can get anything and then it's going to stick or it's going to lead you to connect dots, which you have never connected before. We really don't understand our own psychology and also our own human brain. 
in terms of how it processes, filters, decides, or makes those kinds of associations. Um, so there's a lot of, I mean, randomness is maybe the wrong word, but to a certain extent, there's a lot of randomness in our path in life and what we take in and how it impacts us. You know, it's interesting that you bring it up because just quote unquote, the fact that we, that we don't understand it, that doesn't stop. Can I say a lot of people from not worrying about it, you know, we're, we were constantly confronted and, uh, by, you know, a lot of ideas about how we should think and how we should act and how we should uh, relate and how we should process information. But, you know, to your point, we really don't know how we actually react to those uh, different points. You know, we see people that have gone through, we talked about this last time, uh, also people that have, at least on the surface, had the same physical experience. We talked about going to a soccer game. It could be, uh, you know, having uh, maybe some sort of a, a violent experience or uh, a very powerful experience, be it a sensory experience. And some will, so, you know, people will, will will take it in completely different, differently and they will process it differently. They will walk away with completely different perspectives, right? So on the one hand, you could go, why, why worry? You know, why do we worry so much about it, about all these things? Maybe, you know, what, you know, it's, you know, one could even be fatalistic and say, you know, whatever happens, it happens. There, there are no right or wrong feelings. I don't know. It's a perspective, right? And, and Sir, yeah, good. Sorry, that's. I mean, that's hardly very Buddhist. Yeah, it's not fatalistic. What happens happens. The judgment of right or wrong comes after the fact that it happens. It just happens. Yeah, the manifestation of form and everything that we experience is no more or no less than just what it is. Yeah. Um, so just to say, I mean, it's not always fatalistic yeah, in, in, in that sense. And um, the, the question is, do we then, what do we do with it? Right. In that sense, do we say, well, because there's no good, no bad, then, you know, I just go ahead and hurt anyone or do, you know, things for my own sake without thinking of the consequences. Um, or do I rather see it that's, there is no predefined good or bad, but the choices that I make or how I interpret it and, you know, has consequences on people that can be beneficial or not, right? Um, but we really don't know. I mean, we slowly, I think we were starting to learn more about how the human brain works, obviously. Yeah, neuroscience and psychology and their fields bringing all that together. But as the human experience, you know, we're exposed to so many things every single day um, and as you were saying there are some moments where we seem to be more receptive to certain types of information or we make more connections like resilience yeah why do certain people go through very traumatic experiences and come out stronger and and even more loving more open more helpful more generous and others get you know completely destroyed by it and no judgment to either or um it just underscores the fact that we don't know really that much about how the human mind um, and spirit and heart in that sense functions. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you bring up uh, uh, Buddhism as I bring up, uh, you know, fatalism and fatalism can sometimes be interpreted as this aspect of, well, you know, it doesn't matter what I do and, uh, you know, it has already been decided and there's basically no impact. So, you know, on the, so sort of on, on the counterpoint of that is that I should care, right? that my, my actions matter. They may not matter to me uh, specifically right now. I may not see 
as we say, an, an impact or an effect, but by doing the right thing, that is the right thing. Mm-hmm. And and not looking not looking for a for a payoff and say, if I do this, then then I get that out of it. You do it, you care because it's the right thing to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think yeah. is. Uh, no, I, I mean, at the end of the day, we have the chance and the only thing that we control yeah, is the choices and the actions that we take. Um, and we can take that in a personal or also a professional context. Um, in that sense, if we encounter situations in a professional context where things are not working out the way we would hope for, we really can't control much about the other party or the other side. Yeah, we can only control basically how we react, how we come to the table, what we're willing to try, how we're willing to adapt. Um, and yeah, then if we try to ground that in whatever values are important to us, then that's the, the best that we can do uh, in that sense. And um, yeah, it, it was interesting, right, to, to watch myself and then to realize um, that there are a lot of things that are present and at the right moment in certain circumstances they may connect to allow for growth and and in other moments they're there and we just yeah it's we don't see them and we don't act on them oh i agree completely um just before i pressed the record today um we talked about uh, this you know so we say the story of the buddha coming out of the temple I, maybe you want to to share that story with with the listeners and the relevance for for this experience absolutely um so it's one of the associations that i had because as i was preparing for our second call and thinking uh, what i would tell myself um if i went back right or i could talk to my 17 year old self and first what came to mind was well let's let the hurt from that experience push you and propel you to seek truth like it did. Yeah, I mean, that was more or less the beginning of my quest of trying to understand the meaning of life and, and truth. Um, so I would say to my 17-year-old self, you know, go ahead and do that. But at the same time, along the way, uh, seek out those that can help you to heal. Yeah, because, you know, I mentioned, sorry, I'm a bit, uh, I got a bit of a pull. Um, you know, I mentioned how it, it had an impact also in terms of my my ability to be vulnerable in future relationships and all that. So I go back to myself and say, look, seek those who can help you to heal as much as this hurts, right? It's propelling you to seek truth and knowledge. And then the, the association that came to mind is the, actually the story of, of the Buddha. And obviously not to compare myself in any way to the Buddha, but his story is such, right, that when he was born, his father went to see uh, the village elders, the wise men, and asked, you know, for a prediction of what would his son become. And they said he would become either one of two things, a great um, governor or a great, you know, like uh, he would continue the family legacy in terms of the dynasty or he would become a great sage. So the father decided to shelter him in the palace from his, the 26 years that he lived uh that and with everything that he could imagine in terms of uh, worldly pleasures um because he wanted his son to be yeah his successor in, in the dynasty and at some point the the um the driver of the their, their horse carriage brought the buddha out 
Yeah, and the first night he went out, he saw sickness. And then he was brought out a second time a couple days later, and then he saw old age. And then a third time that he saw death. And the fourth time he saw an ascetic. He had a sage, basically. He was a spiritual seeker. And he realized that no matter what his father would do or how much he would be protected, sickness, old age, and death would reach him too. And that there would be suffering at some point in his life from those experiences. Um, and he decided that he wanted to go and seek out an end to suffering. And why I think I had that association is that suffering, in a way, the experience of suffering can play a role to push us towards a search for knowledge, for truth, for understanding. Without that suffering, and then it becomes a much broader and longer discussion about Buddhist philosophy. Uh, but without that suffering, a right amount of suffering, there is no uh, there is no uh, drive to figure out how can I end it. And and so in that sense, what I what why I thought about that is that that experience with Isabel was extremely painful, and yet it was the drive that made me, or it was what made me want to understand more about life, what's important in life to me, obviously, what's meaningful, what's the purpose of life, and how to live it in in the best possible way. Now, I didn't reach any great conclusions at the age of seventeen. It's not a great exaggerate, but it was the start of that journey. Thank you, Eric. I, I for your reflections and associations, I, I have a question, and maybe it just uh, shows um, that I'm I'm late to the to the Buddhist game. But what what about the pain? Because you say pain and suffering is is part of this, but how do you handle the pain? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um, it takes practice. Now, in the sense that, I mean, uh, and I hope I won't get this wrong, but the Four Noble Truths, there's like the four major first truths that the, the Buddha shared was, um, life is suffering. Um, suffering has uh, an end. Wait, oh, shoot. Um, life is suffering. Suffering has an end. There's a path to the end of suffering. Oh, and I'm not forgetting one of the four, which is embarrassing. But um, there is a path to the end of suffering, and in that sense, it's it's practice, um, meditation, and other tools that uh, are present in Buddhism are aimed at um, having a level of detachment from. The pain and the suffering. It's not a denial. It's not a repression. Um, it's an acknowledgement, right, of its existence. But basically, to the the idea of change and impermanence, everything that has a beginning has an end. So does the suffering. So does that feeling, right? So how can you learn, or can we can practice to actually be able to sit with that feeling, to acknowledge it, to let it emerge, without holding on to it for the rest of our lives, right? Um, and it will come back. I mean, I think it's the Dalai Lama who says, you know, he still experiences anger. Like, it still manifests itself in him, something that most people will not think that, you know, his holiness, the Dalai Lama, looks like the, the person who has absolutely nothing negative or angry happening inside of him, but, <laughs> but it still emerges in him. But his practice has been 
the, the the realization and at some point it's, it becomes realization not just a practice but that these things that emerge within us they have a beginning they have a cause which causes them to emerge they will therefore have an end practice to be able to sit with that discomfort to acknowledge it and but not to say you know but sometimes some of our feelings when they want to go away we tend to bring them back right you start to feel better and there's a part of you that's like, oh no 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 you you know it's like you're not finished with this you need to suffer more you need to be you know you need that pain inside of you come back get the practices everything that emerges to try to become more the observer of it um also the good also the happy emotions not to leave yourself get lost in them a hundred percent um one of the buddhist teachers and masters that we met he once said when you're having a wonderful experience like which brings you truly relative joy in terms of yeah, material or even family and all that he said just hold yourself back an inch from letting yourself completely get immersed in that feeling because the pendulum will swing it always swings that's human nature right and if you hold yourself back just a little bit that when it goes back in the other direction towards the negative feelings at some point you'll have at least that much yeah, which you held back on one side, which means the momentum will hold it, hold you back that much from the most negative experience that you could have with those disturbing emotions. So it's a question of practice, not necessarily something that you know. Uh, I mean, that I'm better at than than other people, but it is the the question of of practice and then perspective. <laughs> Thank you, Eric, for sharing your experience as well as taking the time and energy to reflect back on it. I hope this experience was useful for you, giving you an opportunity to share the experience and uh, to have this discussion uh, and association's reflections with me on it. I want to thank you for your time. Wonderful, lovely to have this, uh, this dis- or these discussions with you. Just before we end, I understand you are also thinking about venturing into the podcast world yourself i am and um i'm next year i mean i wanted to accomplish it this year and and i haven't so next year i like to start my own youtube channel and and podcast i have a, a number of people that i would like to interview who work in either in businesses neuroscience physical activity yeah like uh, sports trainers try and just uh, the topic that I'm curious about is basically leadership, decision-making, um, and just get as many different perspectives on that uh, as I can and hopefully have some wonderful conversations like like we had and like you're having with your other guests. Sure. So do you have a title for your for your show or is that still uh, brewing? It, it's still brewing. Yeah, it is it's brewing. So um, I'm, I also want to sound it with... I did, and then it's morphed a little bit, so it's not there. And actually, before we leave, because my brain has reminded me of the four noble truths, yeah? So yeah, yeah. Life is is suffering. Suffering has a cause. There's an end to suffering, and there's a path that leads to the end of suffering. And those were the four noble truths. That's great. Eric, uh, we'll put a link to to your profile uh, in the show notes. And also where people can go and learn more about your uh, your upcoming 
YouTube channel. So that is very exciting. I wish you were welcome onto the the stage of bringing yourself forward and sharing your experiences. And and I can tell from from uh, not only from from listening back to the last episode, but you know the conversations they develop and relationships deepen and and develop. So uh, let me know if I in any way can be of service to you. Uh, and I would be uh, more than happy to to share any thoughts or links that can send uh, people your way. So with that, I will send you on your on your way to a great Christmas party you say tonight, and then some quiet packing tomorrow. I don't know how wild it gets in Düsseldorf, but uh, I've heard stories. But uh... thank you, Thanks for having me. Of course, thank you so much, Eric. Take care. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Transformations. I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for your time and stay tuned for a new episode of Transformations. More episodes on the way.